if you want to start a podcast where you want to talk about your favorite TV show and make commentary about it or to, or talk about what's going on into life, go to Spotify for podcasters. All you got to do is just um, sign up for free and talk about if you talk about your opinion and express yourself. I mean, Spotify for podcasters. I mean, if you want to be, if you want to talk about something, though, we can talk about it. We'll listen. Spotify for podcasters on Spotify. You are now listening to Twisted, a Law and Order SVU podcast where we recap and break down past episodes of Law and Order SVU. You can hear us out on Spotify, Anchor FM, WordPress, or in any other streaming service. And now, here's your host, Brian Rose. Welcome to Twisted, a Law and Order SVU podcast where I recap episodes of Law and Order SVU. What's up, y'all? This is Brian Rose, and I just wanted to tell you that I was away last weekend. No, I mean, I was away last week because, check this out, though. I went out camping last weekend. Yes, I was up there, out there, I was out there camping with my friends, and you won't believe this, man. I mean, I stayed up there for two nights. So I went up to this um this campgrounds up in upstate New York that's right near West Point, I believe, right? And it's, it took place somewhere in the mountains and all that stuff. But anyway, um, what I did is I took the bus up to um, I think Woodbury Common, something like that, and I called my friend to pick me up from the parking lot, and then. After that, you know, we went to before we went to the, you know, the, we went to the campsite though. We did a little shopping and check this out. We they was we had a lot of food. I mean, a lot a lot of my friends were over there. They was making some big food. I mean, rice, you know, the meats and, and um, you know, the pastries and the cookies. And check this out. We I spent like two nights up there in the damn in the woods. Well, something like the woods, you know, it's a campsite. So they got like a bunch of cabins and they got a lake. Oh, I know the name of the lake. It's it's Lake Frederick. That's in upstate New York. So it's like a hour long ride on a bus. So I had a good time. You know, there was a lot of food and my friends were cooking breakfast from the grill and they even brought their pots and they even had like the... Um, I think it was like they had that thing. It's like a stove thing. They go works outdoors. I don't know what it is though, but I forgot the name of it. So, anyway, man, I'll tell you, I had like a breakfast burrito. One of them had steak in it, and then the other one got like some turkey. Yeah, it was good. I put a little salsa and stuff like that. And, you know, I ate I like a lot of donuts and. Mm, there were some cookies. And, however, though, I had some like some rice. I think of Brussels sprouts and uh, turkey turkey meat mixed with lamb and <laughs> in other words though, I had a good time. Oh, I even baked my I even baked mac and cheese on the grill, and I was giving it out to my friends, and uh, I I brought some ingredients for the mac and cheese. Like I got like the um, like the evaporated milk and some black pepper, some salt. And somehow I was going to pour some black pepper on my mac and cheese. And, and then next thing you know, it's been missing. So anyway, you know how I do it. You know, my, one of my friends take out a pot. I boil the macaroni. I put it on the tray, put the cheese in and the evaporated milk and put it on the grill. Let it just put, you know, put the fire on charcoal and then just cook it under the grill for 45 minutes. Somehow one of my friends had to go and dig into my mac and cheese early. And I told him and it wasn't even done yet. And you know, I don't know, I was a little upset about that because um because it because you know the key to my friend, he didn't he just like took a scoop and it wasn't even done yet. So uh, I mean I'm trying to have a good time, you know. I mean I'm not trying to be mean or anything like that though. I mean, sometimes you uh, you gotta use your head like that, you know. I mean, when you see something baking like mac and cheese, 
you gotta let it cook for like 45 minutes you know what i'm saying you usually have to be you have to wait just you gotta be patient oh yeah and by the way you know i i put up my tent up there you know i didn't i didn't spend the night at the cabin I just put up a tent over there, you know, because I want to be have the experience of sleeping on the side of the woods. And um, I remember this one night that I was doing some patrolling with the flashlight, make sure everyone's okay. You know, it's a, it's late at night. You know, I I just be like a night watchman and all that shit. And so when I would get get ready to go back lay down, I got into my tent. Guess who was in my tent? A damn earthworm with spikes. And I was like, I don't know, maybe I freaked out, but I was like kind of excited all that stuff. I mean, how did the worm get into my tent, though? Damn. And somehow I told my friend who was outside, I told him there's a worm in my tent. And then next thing you know, I don't know, I probably got, probably got, I didn't get excited, but I didn't get freaked out, though. I mean, I was worried that the earth, that this worm would infect me and all that stuff. But however, though, I found like a, uh, some garlic or one of them pizza packets in my back, book bag and I put placed the packet on the ground and then the worm got on it and then I threw the worm out outside the tent and then I had to sleep. Well, you might think that I'm freaking out on it, but I don't know. <laughs> they say that I caught that I attracted attention to other people who was sleep who was sleeping and all that stuff. Like I woke the neighborhood up. Well, <laughs> oh my goodness, I don't know, maybe it was a bad thing, but I didn't mean it though, I mean, I wasn't freaking out even like that, but uh, I mean, I don't know, maybe I don't know what's going on on my mind though, so, uh, anyway, enough about the camping trip, so um, I just wanted to say that, you know, the um, Law & Order SVU writers are going back to work right now because since the strike is over, and um, we'll see what happens. That's all I know. And oh yeah, by the way, they also trying to get back to work with um, Ch- one Chicago PD, Chicago Med, Chicago Fire, and the FBI. You know, you know, most of the dip will produce those produce shows. However, though, here's here's one exception. You know, Law and Order spinoff, Law and Order organized crime. Though they're not gonna get to work anytime soon because they're looking for a new showrunner so i just want to give out that information to you now let's get into today's episode all right now we're um law and order svu season six episode four scavenger and it aired on nbc on october 19th 2004 now I just want to let you know that this is a scavenger hunt episode of SBU. And there's some crazy ass shit going on around here, though. It's like Benson and Stabler are going on a wild goose chase against this um, perp. And turns out the perp will turn out to be a, some kind of a copycat. But we'll get into that later. Now, here it goes. Now, we're at Central Park in the daytime. And you got two joggers, you know, doing their jogging thing, their morning thing. One's a male and the other's a female. Then the male jogger will start complaining, saying that he feels like he's having a heart attack. And the female jogger tells him, relax, it's just muscle spasms. And she shouldn't ask him, she shouldn't ask him what did he eat earlier. I mean, I'm on the male jogger side because he feel like if, he like he's beginning to pass out or whatever, something like that. Though, I mean, shoot, I don't know. Maybe he's doing working out too much. I don't know what it is though. But I mean, imagine me. I felt lightheaded and almost, and I almost passed out like the other day. Maybe I was just working too much. Anyway, so they see a stroller. They arrive. They approach it, and they found an aban- a baby inside of it. So it turns out the baby has been been abandoned by a mother or something like that. And they find a note. And they both read it. They both read it. And it's disturbing. So later on, Benson and Stable arrive at the crime scene. And they're talking to O'Halloran. It turns out that uh, she, O'Halloran tells him that the um, female has probably been adopted. Called her over here and then took her and then to his car and then sped out. And he also discovered torn panties. 
looks like he probably just um, raped her or something like that, though. So, however, though, here comes Corner Warner, though. She brings the baby over, and turns out the baby is healthy, no signs of scratch or trauma, anything like that, though. So, our Holleran tells him that um, the, 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 the note or the riddle, a note was there, and it was made from a computer, and it has the uh, name of it, Rupert Daniel Kilmore, right? It was signed by Rupert Daniel Kilmore. So Benson Stabler read the note, and it's a riddle. riddle. And it says, the mean, mean man has a monster in his head. Find him by tomorrow, or mommy will be dead. <laughs> so Benson and Stabler, are they are countering a, the Riddler? Oh, who who made that riddle? Was it um, the Riddler from the Batman TV series? No, was it no, or was it Jim Carrey playing the Riddler in the Batman movies? Batman for Batman mean Batman Forever? Oh my goodness! I mean, I speaking about the Riddler, right? Um, there was a TV show called Batman that ran on ABC from 1966 to 1968. And it starred Adam West as Batman and Burt Ward as Robin. And it got like a campy thing. I mean, they got the theme song called Batman! Batman! Damn, I was such a corny-ass singer. So anyway, I'm not... I'm not a fan of the original Batman TV series in the 60s, but I've seen it a couple of times. But what kind of freaked me out, man, because he's that transition scene, right? So, like, from one scene to the next. I didn't like the fact was there's a Batman, a bat zooming in the t- on the TV with the thing spinning, bat, you know, bat zooming in and out. That scared the shit out of me, man. And I thought that the bat was going to come and get me. Oh, I mean, I just, I just want to change the channel. I mean, at that point, I didn't even want to watch Batman. I'm not even a fan of Batman. You know what I'm saying? They did this Batman. That damn Batman is trying to come at me like that, man. That's scary. That's scary as hell. Okay, I was a kid, so I mean, what was the point, though? Hmm. So anyway, um, I like the um, Michael Keaton's 1989 Batman better because it's a little more serious. And Jack Nicholson played the Joker and all that stuff. So, so. Anyway, um, we go through the opening credits, and they're trying to figure it out about... We're at the squadron right now, and Munch and Finn are there, Kragen's there, Benson and Sabler's there. So, they're trying to figure... They're trying to read about that threatening riddle or something like that. I don't know what it is, though. And they also wanted to find out about the stroller. They say it was the best buy. That was Finn said. And they're trying to find out who the mother is, because she's unidentified. So, they want to go and look into this uh, guy named this guy named Rupert Daniel Kilmore, and um, he left that threatening note. So, all they did is they're gonna find they found they did a search for Rupert Daniel Kilmore in the city, and it turns out that they have a Rupert Daniel Kilmore who owns a shop somewhere in um, Staten Island, something like that. Though, so they're gonna go speak to Rupert now. We're at this place called um, Kilmore Time, and Benson the Stabler is um, is talking to Rupert and about the note, but he's not the suspect though, and he he he, he and Rupert denies it though and all that stuff, and the next thing you know, he gets a phone call from somebody, so the guy answers Rupert answers it and says Kilmore Time, and he was like and he was like oh the cops are right here. So, you know, after he hangs up the phone, you know, I mean, he mentioned something about the guy who was here. He want to talk about the facts. And then all of a sudden, Benson looks over to the fax machine because he hears some paper coming out of the fax machine. And Benson was, Benson was like, not facts, facts. So it turns out that uh, <laughs> the perp was following them. I mean, yo, I mean, this perp is so sick, man. I mean... Uh, the perps have been following Benson and Stabler, man. So next thing you know, they see um, paper, uh, note, um, paper coming out of the fax machine, and it turns out to be another note. You know what I'm saying? So, oh my goodness, 
And then the you know, best in state for reason though, saying that um, uh, uh, the, the, the cops um, messed up on number one, and then it says mommy's running out of time. Check out the, the place above the rhyme. So they look at they look uh, at the uh, word above the rhyme. It says it says Chiffy's Copy Center, and then Ruble's like, "Yo, that's next door." So Benson and Stabler run over to the copy center. They come in, and next thing you know, they have their badges out, something like that, though. And it says, says "Police, police, we want to speak to somebody." You know what I'm saying? It's um, so um, they wanted to say they want. They also mentioned about a guy who came over to the place and all that stuff. So one witness says that um, it is that um, it was that she seen a black homeless guy, something like that. Had a note, anything like that, though. So, Benson and Stable go outside, and they, they see you a homeless guy, and um, he's laying there. I mean, he like tired and stuff like that, though. So Benson and Stable confront the homeless man, and who had an encounter with the guy, and the homeless guy tells him that the guy put something in his head, and then um, next, and then somehow you know, I mean, the homeless guy is slurring his speech, and Stable's like. Do needs his sugar, so he goes to the garbage can, and he finds a chocolate bar. When Benson's trying to get this dude, the homeless guy, to speak, and um, somehow you know the stable finds a chocolate bar, Benson, and then they feed it to him. And then next thing you know, is the the homeless guy says, "Hog, Pat, Men, Top, Yarn." Yo, what the hell does that mean? That sounds like a clue. You know what I'm saying, though. So the homeless man left out clues like hog, yarn, hog, yarn. I mean, uh, hog, pat, men, top, yarn. So we're at back at the squabble right now. So we're trying to figure out what do these words mean. So they had the homeless guy in for eight hours. And the homeless guy keeps repeating the same five words. Stuff like that. Same to try to tell them to shut up and anything like that, though. So, um, next thing you know is that that's some crazy shit going on around here, though. So, however, though, it's like, um, it's however the guy comes in with a letter or something like that and saying it's for Captain, Captain, um, for, for Captain Craig and all that stuff, though. So, that's what it is, though. So, meanwhile, so, um, so they're trying to save a meet some um, with um, the baby's father. His name is Eric Liebert. I mean, Stable goes out to the hallway. He meets a a guy who guy who turns out to be um, the baby's father, Eric Liebert. So, however, though, it's like um, he asked him about he he heard about uh, his son in the news saying he was missing and all that stuff though. So. And then we and Sable was trying to tell him that they're trying to find a missing mother, and uh, and then Mister Lieberg asked, "Is Julie all right?" So it turns out that um, the adopted mother's name is Julie Lieberg. So Sable asked him for her picture, and then he um, and Mister Lieberg shows him his wife Julie's picture. So the woman who was adopted is abducted is identified as Julie Lieberg. So. However, though, Munch discovers um, that that um, the person had a re- that the person had the perp had a return address, and then Sable was like the five words hog pat men top yarn. This the son of the bitch got it right, and then you know Craiger mentioned something about that homeless crackhead or something like that though. So Sable comes over to the squad room with um, Eric Liebert. And um, he tries to uh, he's trying to see um, the something that says see some some piece of um, thing that from the package or something like that was delivered, and he was like, "What's that in the what's coming out of the package? What's that in the box?" He and Mister Lieber discovers he find his wife's cut ear in the damn box, and then oh my god! And Daryl was like, he was like livid. He was like, "What did he do to her?" I mean, is that, oh my goodness, is that, a, is that an earring? I mean, what he did to her? Oh my goodness, that's, I mean, that, no, I can't believe that damn purpose got her or something like that, though. So, yeah, so, 
However, though, much discovers that these five words are anagrams. You know, hog, um, hog, pat, men, top, yard. Those are anagrams. So they had to solve it all together. So they had missing letters. But it turns out that um, these five words was an anagram. And they just they just figured out that it was it's a pay it was a it's a payphone at Monte Grand. So Benson Saber run out of squad when we go to buy down to Monte Grand. So Monte Grand. So that's like in downtown, something like that though. I think it was Tribeca, something like that. So we're outside, Benson Stabler arrived at the phone booth, and another poem is found by the payphone. Shit. And then it and then they open up the note and it reads. You're running out of time. M M C X X X I I. So, so that's in Roman numerals. So, so the the well the one the um, the Roman numerals M M C X X X I I stands for twenty one thirty two. So, Jensen was thinking, was it the year or something like that though? And Sid was like, time. It's time. So he tells Saber. That it's military, it's probably military time. So 2132 stands for 932. So what happened was that it was after like it was 1030, so they arrived like um like an hour late. I mean uh, when per, and then Perf left that note though. So uh, Sabler tells Benson to call Taboo and see get them the dump on the phones and whatever like that though. So Sabler looks around though, and um He's trying to figure something out and something like that, though. So, Benson tried to call somebody and stuff like that, though. So, however, though, the rush the rush dump leads to an apartment building. So, so it turns out that Sable tells Benson that midnight is like uh, midnight is like 90 minutes. So, that's 10.30 and all that stuff. So, the rush dump leads into an apartment. They break into this apartment or something like that, though. And... They look at the sign saying, congratulations. And they go over to the room. They find Julie's body in, and in her body. And she's, Julie is dead. And it turns out, and her body was like wrapped in some kind of bag. And there's another poem or another riddle or whatever. And something like that, though. It says, um, yeah, yes, uh, oh man, goodness. Sorry you were too late. Constellation prizes inside. Unwrap and enjoy. So they unwrap the thing in the bag and they look at Julie's naked body. And in the front by in the front on the belly, it says RDK is and it points to an arrow. So they turn the arrow and it leads them to the back. And Benson discovers that RDK is back. But however, that's not all. Finn shows up and she finds three of uh, Julie's fingers in the bedroom. Plus, there's another note in it though, and then it reads, "Reads, fun, fun, fun. Let's play again for the next chapter in my cap. Check in the policeman's helmet." <laughs> so this asshole is talking to the police though. I mean, he's talking to the police. I mean, first he's going after the. A woman, and now he's talking to cops. Damn, that's so. Oh my goodness. So it turns out that um, RDK is at RDK is back, and you know he's um, and uh, I don't know what it is. So I mean, yeah, if it's not Rupert Daniel Kilmore, it's somebody else. RDK. I don't know what it is though. Yeah, so there's some some sets. I mean, yeah, one one female is found dead after she was reported missing and all that stuff. Now we gotta deal with this um and now we gotta deal with this damn poem aiming at cops. So we back at the squadron right now, and they turned out that RDK was a serial killer active in the late 70s and early 80s. And he murdered several women, except for one who escaped. So the ones who escaped was um, they're, they're trying um, it turns out the the woman who escaped is turned out to be I'm not gonna say it though, but, but however though they're trying to find the, who's the owner of the, the loft in which Julie was found dead, 
and the apartment belonged or the loft belonged to Gloria Durham. And she's a single mother and her and her ex-husband or ex-boyfriend, ex-boyfriend or whatever, though, got custody of her kid recently. And she was also a freelance photographer. So it turns out that um, she had a, an appointment with this guy named um, Willis or something like that, Eddie Willis or something like that, though. And she was supposed to show up at this thing at uh, 6 o'clock, but never showed up. But her early, early appointment, though, she had like a guy named Mr. Willis or something like that. Not Willis from Different Strokes. So, we're trying to look into the note about policemen's helmet and stuff like that, though. So, and Finn was like, there are 4,000 cops in the city we had to deal with, though. And, and however, Finn realized that those on the cops don't wear helmets, they wear caps. So, and Benson was like the EDUs, or they wear helmets, though. But however, thanks to Munch, though, he just found turns out he just found something. Turns out the policeman's helmet is come from from a flower, and it has a name called um. You won't believe this. Um, impatience glandifera. It's Latin, and it's the English word. It means policeman's helmet. So policeman's helmet is like a random flower. So. They're trying, so the clue has got to be probably a florist. So, so, so Craig was like, well, it's four o'clock in the morning, though. We got to go, most of the floors is open, so let's go and check on one of them. So, we're at this florist right now, and Benson stably speaks to the guy, and he, he tells him that um, he's running a deadline, he don't have time because he got solves to go. He told he she tells him that the policeman's helmet was paid by car from this gentleman, something like that, though. And he got the name and the address. So, and then you know, the dude was like, he doesn't have time because he got scenes to kill, whatever like that, though. And Bess was like, we'll save you the time. So we at um this place um somewhere in the Bronx. And it turns out that the name and the address that the guy that the guy leads them is fake. So it turns out that the address, like 2932, turns out to be a vacant lot. But it's actually a community garden. And Benson Stable find a broken um, um, broken um, locker or something like that. So they go in the garden, and they see some dirt overturned or something like that. Their clue leads into the shed. And they open the shed, and the flowers are found, and so is Gloria's body. Oh my goodness! So the perp killed his second victim, and check this out: uh, Gloria was buried underneath the flowers, and they also found another note in there. And it says B three. How many women do I have to screw to make A one above the fold? And this shit doesn't even make no sense. Hmm. So we're at the morgue right now, and Warner says. That um, that the you know that the perp didn't even rape any woman, and she also mentions that in twenty five years, you know, he the perp will develop a lot of sexual dysfunctions and all that stuff though. So Benson Stabler tells Warner that RDK stands for rape, dismember, and kill. And I mean that was a person motive though. So and then you know Warner says that um, that um, yeah, that, that she. That Gloria's death wasn't from a bunch of multiple stab wounds, but her throat was slit, and the stab wounds were like post mortem and all that stuff, though. So, uh, so, so it turns out she sworn to things that, that, um, it's not, it's not, um, it is not, it was, that, I mean, he didn't even rape any of his victims at all. I mean, he killed two women so far because the, the guy, the original RDK, he raped, dismembered, and killed his female victims. But this one didn't do it. I mean, I mean, even the Warner assumes that he developed a lot of sexual dysfunctions when he was young. I don't know what it is, though. So, Sabler says, um, that he wants to talk to the surviving victim. And the surviving victim turns out to be um, Jeanette, Jeanette Henley. And, and she escaped She escaped from the verdict. So we're at Jeanette Henley's um, apartment, and Jeanette describes her attack. 
and she remembers that the guy came and attacked her, and he slit her throat. But she fought back by she had like a bottle and she sprayed it on his splashing in his face. Did she splash some water or a chemical? I don't know what it is. And then uh, she managed to run off, but she couldn't scream because her throat was slit. And then it turns out that she ended up in the hospital for a few days. And after a few days later, she came home. She found a note. And it says, oh, to Jeanette, something like that, though. I don't know. That's some crazy stuff like that, though. So, and then... And then she tells uh, Benson Stabler that she moved out of her apartment and she's worried that, that that he might come and track her down. So Benson Stabler warns her that uh, the killer has resurfaced. And then Jeanette was like, oh, what am I going to do? So Benson asked Jeanette if she has a, a rel- any relatives like her sister or relatives. Jeanette tells her that she has a sister living out in Queens. And they said that they'll take her to the over there. So, she also mentioned the reporter who was interviewing her about, interviewing her on the 25th anniversary of the RDK's attacks. And um, and that happened a few weeks ago. And she mentioned that the guy was a polite dude and he reminded her of, of his mother. And she, and she gives him the guy's business card and his name was Blaine Lawson. And... Um, so um, next thing you know is that Benson tells her that uh, Blaine knew about, uh, knew about, probably interviewed her. So Benson Stabler assumes that Blaine Lawson is another suspect. Oh my goodness! Now that's the, and we're at the second half of the story right now. And Benson Stabler are talking to uh, the boss at the, the the New York New York Examiner or something like that. Though uh, did I say it right? New York examiner, right? And then the guy, the boss, mentions that Blaine is a good guy. He's a he's a go to guy. He's always on the story, and he's on Metro and stuff like that, though. And then the boss tells the reporter, "This is garbage. Print it out." So, Benson Stabler wastes no time because they want to look for Blaine Lawson. So, so the boss calls out Blaine, and he stands up. Turns out to be a black dude. And Sable was like, "You're not it. You're not. You're, you're, in it. you're not. You're not him. Get lost." So Benson tells him that the guy had uh, is a white dude with thick black rim glasses and stuff like that, though. So he remembers a an employee of his, though. His name is Humphrey Becker, and he works out in the morgue. So Benson Stable go to the back, and then they go. They look around looking for Humphrey Becker, and they saw articles and stuff like that. Though it's it's like like a classic guy. I don't know what it is, something like that though. So his coworker shows up though, and um, she also mentions that um, that um, Humphrey is a creepy dude, and he's kept to himself, and, and he's just like she she does she has a bad vibe from him and all that stuff. And the coworker tells him that um, that Humphrey is on vacation. You know, and, and all that stuff, and then he spent. And she also mentions that he likes to spend his time with the he was play, playing with puzzles. Oh, ho, ho, ho. so so it turns out that um, that um, Humphrey or Becker he has a thing with, with puzzles and, and stuff like that. So, however, though, while they were looking for Humphrey before that, they were, when they was looking for Humphrey though, Benson finds an exacto knife, and he uses that maybe the per the. Humphrey uses a knife to cut his victims. I don't know what it is or something like that, though. So, next thing you know is that um, they got the, um, they they found another note or something like that, though, right? And um, it's like a rebus. So it has the clues. It has like a munch look. It's it's a rebus that um, the per RDK left out though. And you know he got his own initials or whatever though. So Munch sees a skunk, like stink and something like that, though. And he also finds a skunk. He also finds um, a C, like a water, plus a letter T. And um, and a change, like a change with thing in the center. But, yo, check this out, though. That, all right. So um, 
uh, so you know, the skunk, you know, the skunk has a scent, sir. So skunk has a scent, and you got the or something like that, though. So much put it together. It says center, right? And the link with with the arrow pointing the center. That's like I I get it. It's Lincoln Center. It says so. The clue it reveals like take a seat at Lincoln Center. So they they got so much so um, much of that I go Lincoln Center and go and check out all the seats and all that stuff, right? So however though, Benson Stabler got a search warrant for Becker. So we're at the um, Becker, uh, Becker's apartment. Benson Stabler busted in with the other cops. And um, they go into this room and they see rejection letters being plastered on the walls. So, so they read another note and they discovered that Humphrey is a copycat pretending to be RDK. So, back at the squad room, so Craig was like, so this crackpot turns out to be a copycat, something like that though, <laughs> pretending to be RDK. And they were like, much looks it that way though. So Munch and Finn came back. They told him that uh, they had the. They went to Lincoln Center. They found a. They said they found another clue that leads into Coney Island, and then they the another clue that leads them back to the city library. They found another note, and and the note read that he, he won't grab a girl till Thursday. So relax and enjoy the show. <laughs> so. They piece it all together. It turns out that um, the clue turns out to be um, or take him to the theater district, and um, and it is a theater district. So probably like a showgirl, something like that. And Craig was like, "It's twenty minutes to nine. The curse should be up by now." So it's like eight forty. So. So it turned out that maybe there's a third victim turned will be turned out to be some kind of like a showgirl or a chorus girl and all that stuff though. So they want to go and um and they, they so the clue lead will lead to the theater district. So they had to go to any um theater to check out find this third victim or whatever like that though. So Munch read this article and Craig comes up. He see Munch reading the article and. Much reads the article about the victim, the former victim, Jeanette Healy, or something like that, though. No, no, Jeanette, excuse me, Jeanette Henley, and stuff like that, though. So, Craig sees, um, sees the guy who did the article. His name is Morty Graff. So, Craig tells Munch to find Morty Graff. All right? So, he's a, he was a reporter at, at, at the time when Jeanette was at, after Jeanette's attack. So we're at this 2021 club and Munch is talking to reporter Morty Graff and he, Morty, mentioned saying that Humphrey is a liar and and he always wanted to be annoying of a guy, making him sick or something like that, though. And I know Morty is like a member, but check this out. Morty has a locker in him in the club. So we were later on at the club, Novak arrives and Munch is there they take uh, they unlock the uh, you know Morty's locker and then they go through Becker's books and journals and they see that they have like a a a, a kit on abduction and then he has a Central Park map and and some guy some creepy go to guy being a serial killer and playing reels and something like that though so it turns out though they've um. Read something about they say something about the um, wet uh, things had red watts. Uh, has who has a two year old son, hot legs, and it turns out that leads them to their next victim, who is goes by the name of Red Watts. So we go through the theater district right now, and Benson Stabler talked to the redheaded girl who has a two year two year old son, and um, they ask her if she's seen the guy. And she, talking to her, and she said that she seen him last week. And they also mentioned that, it, that he asked you about his son, and she was like, "Oh my god, he did talk to my son. Oh my god!" So Benson and Sabler tells him that that they're gonna give her protection. That they, in other words, they can't explain to just go get your stuff ready and go home. 
However, though, Betsy gets a call. She tells Sabler that Jeanette ne- never made it to her sister's. So she goes over to Jeanette's apartment, and it's dark, and she has her guns out, and she searches the apartment, and then she goes to the bedroom, and she sees um, someone being covered up. So Benson assumes it was Jeanette, saying, come on, Jeanette, I know you're scared, but you got to go, stuff like that, though. So, I mean, Jeanette probably was scared or something like that. But when Benson uh, uncovers the blanket, surprise! It's this um, it's this guy named Humphrey Bogart. No, 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 no. It's it's Humphrey Becker, and um, and the actor who's playing Humphrey Becker, his name is Doug Hutchinson. What are you doing here? I need a place to sleep. You people are all over my apartment. I figured this spot was as good as any. Now that it's um, vacant. Where's Jeanette? Sorry, she's a little buried at the moment. Oh my goodness, that guy's a damn creep, man. So anyway, Doug Hutchinson, though, I mean, he has a reputation of playing these creepy-ass roles. He played a villain. I remember him playing the villain in um, the movie Bait with Jamie Foxx. So yeah, Jamie Foxx was like a target with his little creepy little villain. He got the he got the same thick rim glasses, just like in the episode of SBU. And uh, Doug Hutchinson, though, he is um, more famous because um, he was in the headlines back in 2011 for marrying a 16 year old uh, model and singer called Courtney Stodden. Dude, oh, this dude got like an R. Kelly thing going on right here, man. But they, they, I mean, they, this guy, that's like statutory rape and all that stuff, though. But I mean, they were a couple for a few years and they got divorced. But he did make headlines for marrying a damn underage girl, Courtney Stoddard, man. Shit. Look at, she's 16 years old, but she got like a body, like, uh, she got like a body, like 20. Hey, I'm not saying I'm not being creepy, but this 16 year old got some curves and all that stuff, though. Mm, mm, mm. People doing anything for attention, though. Just like in my my episode two weeks ago. Oh my goodness! You know, I mean, you see how many? Yeah, find out these teenage women, though, though they be looking like adults. I mean, even the teenagers. I mean, their body is shaped like a Coca Cola bottle, or they, I mean, they develop or they develop real too quick. I'm not trying to be creepy or anything like that, but um. I like my woman who are in their twenties, right? But you got these young teenage girls out there. I mean, they looking like looking like adults. Someone tell me that they've been eating that the Kentucky Fried Chicken to make their hormones develop faster. And I'm not sure, but eating that processed food will make them develop hormones that quick, and all them bodies and stuff like that. I mean, that's what I've been hearing. Anyway. So anyway, Benson finds uh, Becker hiding under the covers of Jeanette's bed. And Becker was like, congratulations, you got me. And and then, um, and then, and then he, he tells her, Benson was like, what are you doing, doing here? I was looking for a place to crash, you know, I mean, this was it though. So Benson points a gun at him saying, where's Jeanette? And... And Humphrey was like, sorry, detective. She's a little buried at the moment. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this dude's not over with them cops yet, though. So, this this dude, um, Humphrey, Mr. Beck, Humphrey is like a damn Riddler. And he he reminds Benson Stabler as like Batman and Robin and shit like that. Like, da 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 Anyway, I don't know. We go to Act Four right now, and we're in the squad room, and Cragen tells Saber not the Wong is there, and Sabler has to speak to Becker because he's the main detective. 
So whatever though, I mean, um, so Saber goes over to the interrogation room, order box to speak with um just um Humphrey Beck Humphrey and stuff like that though. So much tells him about the mileage and stuff like that. So Stabler comes in though, and um however though, I mean um I mean Humphrey is being such a smart ass and stuff like that. He got me and then <laughs> next thing you know is that um he takes out a watch, and Humphrey takes out a watch saying, where in the world is Jeanette? And Sabler is wants, to, wants him to give it, give, give her up. And um, and then Humphrey was like, ooh, bad cop. I mean, you need to look for a good cop. You need to look for a good cop ladies out, though. So, however, though, I mean, um, sometimes, you know, it's just like, um, I mean, you know, I know Humphrey, you know, have time for stable games. The stable don't have any time to game with Humphrey because Humphrey, Mr. Humphrey, Becker always be talking some shit, though. And then um, Stable gets a, and, um, you know, gets a call, something like that, though, and from his wife. But it turns out to be Dr. Wong. So Dr. Wong instructs Stabler to play with his vanity and, and nothing else, you know? Because, I mean, that's what uh, Humphrey want, Becker wants. And then, you know, Stabler gets off the phone, and Becker was like, is that your wife? I hate that. It's like kind of annoying. And Stabler tells him, you know, that's his wife. She wants to check on me, something like that, though. I don't know. Next thing he knows is um, Becker starts, like, talking to Stabler, and then she wouldn't give Jeanette up, though. And next thing he knows that um, Becker hears uh, Stabler's phone vibrating, and you was like, is your phone vibrating, man? Is that your wife? Something like that. So um next thing you know is that Dr. Wong's t- instructing him to do this and that, to talk tell Becker about his books or whatever like that though. So Sabler talks to Becker about his books, you know, and then they have a conversation. And Becker brags about he wanna be famous. I don't know what it is though. I mean, he he got a lot of rejections and stuff like that though. So Sabler then doesn't waste no time. He asked her where Jeanette is. And um, next thing you know is that Becker was like, I'm not telling you shit. Sabler, then Sabler gets up, though. And then he and then Sabler tells, threatens him that I'm going to choke the living shit out of you. Don't tell me where Jeanette is. And Becker was like, do it. Then Sabler chokes him and gives him a chokehold and stuff like that. That prompts Craig and, his, and Wong to break in, break up the damn fight. However, though, when, you know, next thing you day, um, Craig pulls Stabler away, and Dr. Wong speaks to Becker, and then he realizes that he's targeting one of them with all sons and stuff like that, though. And, St- and Wong also mentions that he never raped his latest victims and stuff like that, though. And, you know, he's targeting the woman with the sons like that. And, and then, you know, Becker also mentions about his mother or something like that. And, so, and then Benson realizes she. Benson and then outside the interrogation, Benson's trying to figure out if the mama's still alive. So she says she tries to go and then doesn't investigate, do some research and investigate herself though. Hmm. I don't know what it is. So anyway, um, we're later on in the day. You know that um, Benson's mother is being, no, excuse me, Becker's mother is being brought in, and in this actress and then. And this actress, um, who is that actress is playing um, Humphrey, Humphrey's mother, Ida Becker? Ida. Everyone calls me Ida. Even Humphrey, since he was five. Thank you for coming, ma'am. Sorry to drag you out of the rain. Oh, it, it stopped on the way over. Right this way, ma'am. Doesn't make sense. You know, he was destined for such great things. I named him after a legend. Bogart. Wasn't he wonderful? Yeah, yeah, that happens to be Ann Mira and the late great Ann Mira, and she's the mother to actor comedian Ben Stiller. And yeah, yeah, Ann Mira, she was on the pyramid. She's been doing acting there and there though. But you know her son Ben Stiller is famous. You know, like the guy from Tropical Thunder, and um, I think it was there was another movie Ben Stiller did. I mean, anyway, uh, uh, I think it was at the. Um, Permanent Midnight. So, I mean, Ben Stiller was active back in the 90s and 2000s, you know, so, I mean, he had his own TV show on MTV, then Fox. So, 
So Ann Mira plays um, Ida Becker, you know, Humphrey's mother. And check this out, though. But both uh, both Ida and Humphrey, though, they she named her son Humphrey after watching the Humphrey Bogart movies. <laughs> oh, that's something like that, though. She named her son Humphrey with uh, uh, she got from the Humphrey Bogart movies. And I mean, she's like a Humphrey Bogart fan, and so is her son, and all that stuff, though. So, but so anyway, it's um, I you know, Ida and Mrs. Becker comes and Mrs. Becker comes in with um, and then she meets Benson and Stabler and Cragen, and she tells them that she got her she got her her son's name watching those Humphrey Bogart films. Am I repeating myself? Anyway, so however though though she Benson tells them that this is like a case. And it turns out that Humphrey hasn't seen his mama for 25 years since the scandal. And Mrs. Be- Mrs. Becker said that she worked two jobs to put him into um, some, um, I think it was journalism school, something like that. And somehow he got, somehow he got kicked out like that. And then, um, and then that affected her and all that stuff. So, so she knows that it's not his son being doing all these crimes, though. So it's and it's like um ah, and then she and says she needs they need to go. She needs the best decides to bring her over to talk to him, and check this out. The, they bring um, Humphrey's mother into the interrogation room, and you know Humphrey's not pleased, saying Ida. He call, he calls his mother Ida. He doesn't call. He doesn't say Mama and all that stuff though. So, Ida tells her son, "What have you done?" And well, and they were in Humphreys, and then Humphrey was like, "It's good to see you, whatever, something like that, though." And um, they have like a falling out and all that stuff, though. So, so um, Mrs. Um, Becker tells uh, Stabler and Wong that uh, he had curls because she wanted to know what happened to his hair, and. Somehow, you know, I mean, their conversation between mother and son doesn't not go too well because he mentioned something about um saying that, saying that, saying it, and saying talking all this shit. And I was like, "What have you done this time?" And then he he tells his mother that I'm going to be famous and all that stuff, though. And then next thing he knows is her mother calls him out. I mean, <laughs> she was like, um, she mentioned something about him. He's throwing it. He throws a temp, he tantrum when the place goes dark. And they, they, they best Stabler and Wong discovers the kid's claustrophobic. And they also discovered that he has like a abused childhood or something like that. Cause the mama, I mean, she calls Humphrey all out, though. I mean, she, I mean, um, Humphrey tells his mom that he did it just for you. I'm going to be famous, yada, 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 yada. I kill all these girls and all that stuff. And I'm just telling you, I'm just like um, trying to think what the mother says. I mean, it's like... um. Oh man, he's very, she also mentions that he throws a tantrum when the place goes dark, and then she hid him for the class for a couple of hours, and then and then he be acting up, acting up. She puts him in a class for a couple of hours, and then next time he she mentions that he gets so worked up, he soiled himself, and then um, says. However, though the conversation at a conversation goes the beginning how the conversation started, so. Humphrey's mother asked um, ask him, where is Jeanette? And and he just goes off. Jeanette, and he tells her that Jeanette says is in a quiet, dark, quiet place looking for the big sleep. And Ida knows that those are Bogart's films and those are Bogart's last roles. And then check, check this out. Humphrey tells his mother that he uses alias um, Mr. Willis or something. You use alias Eddie Willis or something like that. So, turns out that he used alias to kill the, his victim number two. Well, I think it was the, you know the brunette lady who he buried her with the flowers. So, 
Next thing you know, I mean, her mother calls him out, say he's claustrophobic. I mean, he, she hid him in the closet, and she also mentions that he go he go crazy when I put him in the closet. So he turns out he's claustrophobic. And then Xavier says, where's Jeanette? And then Cuffy tells him to shut your pie hole. And then, and then next thing you know, work for exchange between um, Humphrey and his mother. And then Humphrey, like I said, Humphrey's mother just flat out exposing him, saying he was a difficult child. He always threw a tantrum. He soiled himself. And then Humphrey cause doesn't take it anymore. I mean, it gets to his head. He was like, shut up! Shut up! Don't you never know to shut up! And he starts calling her mother. He starts attacking her, calling her, her mother a bitch. And then next thing you know, is Sabler restrains him, and drags him out of the interrogation room, and he throws him into some kind of a closet. But the lights go out. <laughs> when they and the message statement shut the door, and Humphrey goes a little crazy, something like that. They ask him where Jeanette is, and then he says he's not gonna tell him. But he's so they try. They're planning to su- they're planning to try to suffocate this dude until he dies. I mean. Fatally suffocate him until he gives it up, though. So, however, they find a key, and then somehow, next thing you know, they ask her where Jeanette is, and 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 then and then um, and then you know, Humphrey cried out, "I'll tell you everything. You let me out, though." You know, they got the key. They was gonna lock his ass up, and then they're gonna bring EMS over, and then Humphrey tells them that. That Jeffrey, that 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 um, Jeanette is at a dump on Staten Island with the, and she's inside the fridge with a chain around it. So, they they finally got the information they needed. So they ran out to Staten Island, and they find the fridge with the chain around it. They unlock the chain over the up the fridge, and Jeanette she is found barely breathing. So she's brought out. Jeanette is brought out to the fridge, and she's taken to the ambulance. Benson Stabler just stands right there and stand right there and the episode ends. So it turns out that the RDK was the, the, no, it, turn, it turns out that the, um, uh, that the uh, Beck, Humphrey Becker was actually RDK all along. <laughs> and he had the thing rape this member and kill. Like um he wanted to be wanted to be he wanted to be famous because I mean he got kicked out of journalism school over some dumb shit. And so the serial killer turns out to be um Humphrey. I mean, he killed like several women, including the two well, two more victims that he never raped. So that guy's damn crazy ass he's a crazy asshole. He's crazy, he's crazy, man. So that's the end of the episode. All right, though I just uh, announced this two weeks ago, and um, and I just want to let you listeners know that I have started my own online business, and I appreciate your support. All you gotta do is just please fill out the survey called um, my my dot com, and then it'll lead you to my Survey Monkey, and it'll and you have you have to answer like several questions about. Your what's on your bucket list and what's your favorite vacation and all that stuff though, and after you fill out this survey though, you will be entered into our weekly drawing to have a chance to receive a three day two night vacation certificate. So, one in like five hundred people will or will get the vacation certificate if you fill out the survey. All you gotta do is go to mydreamtripsurvey.com. And don't forget, put in um, HTTPS two dot slash slash com and just fill out the survey and you'll get a chance to receive a vacation certificate. So we're not, I'm not selling anything. It's just that we just ask for your opinions and your questionnaire. And speaking about booking a flight though, have you heard that Trap Manatee, have you ever heard Trap Manatee? I mean, you could book a flight or cruise at a cheapest discount. And so if you want, if you say you go to your travel agent, you say you want to book a place, go say like you want to go to Dubai or something like that, stay there for like five, six days, or go to Disneyland for Disneyland for seven days. You go to Expedia or Priceline and they give you like only the cheapest, um, cheaper values, like take a plane or hotel package or travel package or whatever though but when you go to trap manatee though you could get like a 
cheap he give you a book a flight or a hotel or at, at, at cheapest price and check this out you will save some money so try to go to trap vanity right now and see right so and then it'll help you save money All right now I want I want to say I want to say I want you to thank you for listening in and um Hopefully, and I'll be back next week with a new episode, and I'll try to be a little bit short and sweet sometime, like you know, like um, like the Nestle's chocolate chips when I make some chocolate chip cookies. Anyway, well, I know it's running late right now because right now, probably got I got a lot of things to do today, so I just wanted to say um, I want to thank you, thank y'all for listening in, and you could hear twisted. A Lauren or SVU podcast on Spotify for podcasters, Spotify, Google Podcast, Radio Public. I got this new one called um, you know, Jetpack, also known as um, WordPress. And there's this new one called On Podium, I believe. So, I mean, you can check this out too if you find streaming stuff like that. And if you're an SVU fan, just go and like and subscribe, and you go through. It's available on all streaming podcast services, all right? And so this is Brian Rose, and I'll be back next week with a new episode, and have a blessed week.